Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that someday hopes to be immortalized as a bobblehead and a chia pet. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and in tonight's show, as I promised, we're going to touch on the FDA issues, and I've got Paul Creasy sitting on hold, and he's going to fill us in on, I'm going to ask him two questions, we'll see if we can get answers out of him on what he wants us to do in regards to FDA. Later on, Quentin Wells will be on the show. We're going to talk about the American Carving Contest for the the Kansas City Pipe Show. We'll talk pipes and pipe club and all that stuff with Quentin. If we've got time, music, I'll hit a mailbag and rant at the end of that. All that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And if you've been following me on Facebook, it's been a busy week around here. Busy, busy week. I uh, uh, went and picked up my son from his last semester in the dorms at school. Yeah, all done. Moved out of the dorms. Hey, you know what you're doing? You got $65 left over on your meal card. <laughs> we spent the last half hour up at the campus running out the uh, using his meal card on the vending machine. So we got Raisinets, M&Ms, Pop-Tarts, all kinds of goodies, all kinds of snacks. I'm a little sugared up tonight. Uh, also... Band season's coming to an end, so we had our band banquet a couple of nights ago. My daughter got her marching band letter to go on her letterman's jacket. Now she and I both have uh, letterman's jackets, and mine was for being the sports announcer. Hers is for marching band, so not exactly your traditional uh, your traditional letterman's jackets. Also, race week. Yeah, NASCAR's home for two full weekends here, so we're gearing up for the All-Star race on Saturday night. Uh, We'll not get to the truck race this Friday, but definitely get over to the racetrack on Saturday night and catch the All-Star race. All right, we've got a big show, so I'm going to stop jammering about me. In just a minute, Paul Creasy will be on the phone, so everybody... Fire up a bowl, sit back, relax. Thank you for you tuning in, and thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. 
I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> Just log on to smokingpipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. All right, joining us for the pipe parts segment of the show because I couldn't figure out how to say all these big fancy legal words is Paul Creasy, who on this appearance is acting as the president of the Pipe Tobacco Council. Paul, I want to keep this short and sweet because we've got a guest waiting on hold. I've got two questions for you. Uh, one, are there any pitfalls in the pending FDA deeming regulations for pipe tobacco and then the second question is is what do you want all of us pipe smokers to do how can we help what do you want us to say in regards to the public comment period all right Brian. well thanks again for having me and uh, luckily because i'm still talking on the phone uh, that gives you an indication the fda regulations aren't as bad as i was possibly expecting which is actually encouraging yeah uh, as far as what I'm seeing, you know, from looking at the regulations, you know, just as a 50,000-foot level, and again, if you are ever really desperately needing to sleep, I would suggest to all your listeners that you go to the FDA website and pull up the uh, deeming regulations and just read all 249 lovely, deliciously informational-packed goodies, because I tell you, that will put you right out in about two minutes. Uh, First thing, I mean, I'll I'll talk about some of the positive things I've seen, I'll tell you some of the the negative things and the pitfalls that I see. Uh, One of the things I was very worried about was the um, the health warning uh, issue. You know, pipe tobacco is a we're a niche business, and we are a, really a small batch specialty type business. And rotating health warnings would have just been an absolute logistical nightmare. And luckily for us, you know, when we did our presentation a couple of years ago, we brought that issue up in advance, and we said, "Look, uh, I know there's going to be health warning labels. I, it really doesn't even matter what they are; just make it one." And they seem to have heard that, which is encouraging for future. You know, regulatory issues. Uh, so there's there's going to be one health warning on pipe tobacco. So that's a good thing. Uh, some of the bad things I see. I mean, again, it, it, as far as regulations go, I've actually read worse. And most of these, I believe, the industry and we're in the process now through the Pipe Tobacco Council of making comments. And I'll talk about this in just a second. So it is being dealt with by the industry. In the in the proper channels, going through our lobbyists, uh, going through you know we actually have a, uh, a a former lawyer from the FDA on our uh, staff at the Pipe Tobacco Council working with us on this issue. It's always good to have somebody who knows the lingo to be the guy to talk about it, so he can he can talk their language, so to speak. Uh, the concerns that I have <clears throat> really comes down to future products and products uh, introduced in the last few years. You know, everything prior to February 15, 2007 is going to be all grandfathered in. There's going to be ingredients listings and things like that and project registration, and nobody in the pipe tobacco business really has any concerns about any of that if it's reasonable. If it costs, however, $3,000 to do a registration, uh, that could get very bad because our business is not like other businesses where there's two or three products that make up 90% of the sales. 
there's thousands and thousands of products that make up 90% of the sales. This, we are really a couple thousand of this, couple thousand of that kind of industry. And that is the nature of the pipe tobacco business. We've made that point up front, uh, and I, I, they haven't necessarily said no to that. They didn't really address pipe tobacco that much directly at all. And again, I think that's where we have some opportunities going forward. What drove a lot of this regulation, I believe, are e-cigarettes. That was mentioned frequently in the deeming regulations and flavored cigars. Uh, pipe tobacco was barely, barely mentioned uh, and just in passing largely. So that's encouraging. But if they, if it is if they're going to stick to their guns, and we've and we already have several comments that we're getting ready to make on how to comply with what's called substantial equivalence, and what that means so that your viewers don't go to sleep. If you have product X on the market, and essentially it is the same as something that was already on the market prior to that date, you kind of have to prove that. Now, pipe tobacco, there's a lot of products that that are essentially you know, uh, uh, the same or, you know, as far as like what the FDA would be concerned about uh, now than there are then. But if it requires a lot of testing and, and, and expensive uh, legal maneuvers to get that kind of uh, qualification, that could get very expensive. And that worries me because it could really go to the heart of, of, the, the, of the industry as it currently exists. My bigger concern is going to be after uh, the regulation comes out, it really is going to be very, very difficult to have new products come out because the bar that you've got across in order for new product development is a very high bar. We are commenting on this, and and we're hoping to get some relief on this because, again, and I, I think I said this the last time you interviewed me, and, and the deeming regulations kind of proved this out, this is not a document that has been written in with the intent of we really need to clamp down on this health scourge that is traditional pipe smoking. <laughs> That's not the intent. Uh, but again, it, depending on how the regulations are worded, uh, it can inadvertently be that intent. The second part of your question yeah. about what your you know, what you as an individual can do right now, I would not really suggest that you do much of anything uh, directly with the FDA, for example. Most of the comments that, that the FDA is really going to deal with are best to come from directly from industry people and even better from trade associations. For example, we at the Pipe Tobacco Council, when we make our uh, comments, you know, they're all put into the proper format and, and, and they're put into the language that the FDA understands and it has a certain cachet to it, being that it represents, you know, 95% of the pipe tobacco industry in the United States. They, they listen to those comments. If it's a bunch of uh, people saying, look, I'm going to run to Montana and I'm going to get my guns and hide all my tobacco and, and, and you, can't, you, know, you can't find me and come for me, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be helpful for what we're trying to do. What individuals can do, though, and this is always a good thing, and always be polite and always you know, be very nice about it, but it never hurts to you know, uh, send a letter to your legislators and say, look, I'm very worried that traditional pipe smoking is going to be adversely affected by regulations. Uh, we would like to have maybe some relief on this or a special dispensation 
generally speaking, if it's worded in a, in a proper format and it and it's not aggressive, or those things can usually have an effect. But that's more with your local congressman or your senator or things like that. And they tend Be- to pay attention if you put your first and last name and your mailing address on there. Absolutely, and mail it. Don't email. Yeah. Mail the letter uh, again. And I can't repeat this enough. Pipe tobacco is not, even though it's included in this regulation, it is not the point of the regulation. I mean, uh, I guarantee you they talked about hookah tobacco in great, great detail a thousand times more than they talked about pipe tobacco. So, you know, the, the FDA has, a, has an agenda here, and they, they need to get these products under regulation. And it appears, just cursorily at least, reading the regulations as they are currently you know, constructed, that they are definitely open for comments from industry to make the regulation do what it's intended to do, which is basically protect public health and, and, and give people information, but not to be so onerous and ridiculous that uh, it basically inadvertently puts everybody out of business. I it, I feel that they are, are open to that, and and if we go about this the right way, I think I think it, that it will work. But uh, you know, again, you never know uh, because you know regulatory agencies can can switch up on you. But there are lots of things. Like, for example, there was no Internet ban directly. I mean, there's a thing about age verification and things like that that could lead to trouble later. There was no flavor ban directly, uh, which was very good. Now, that that could, you know, creep up later because uh, they leave themselves uh, an out that says that this is something they're going to monitor. And if they see problems, then they'll they'll do something about that later. But as far as a first horse out of the gate kind of situation, um it, it it seems like we can work with this document. It seems like if we could tweak some some things in, this will be workable for the existing products on the market. Future products are going to be a problem. There's no question about it, uh, and that that is that I, that I'm very worried about. And I'm I'm also worried about the prohibition on free samples. I mean, we are we are working on, and I think we'll be able to get this. You know, uh, dispensation for things like the Chicago Pipe Show or the local pipe shows or things like that. I don't think that's what they're talking about. The smokeless people have a similar type of, uh, you know, uh, out in, in their uh, regulations for adults-only events. Um, but, again, this is something that we're going to have to be spending lots of times with lots of lawyers and lots of lobbyists uh, over the next couple months hashing all this out. We've only got about a minute left. Is there any threat to the traditional bulk tobaccos that are bought in a in a pipe shop? Uh, yes, uh, if if we do not get the r- rule, and I and again, I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to make a a, a slight uh, you know uh, change to my yes in the sense that I think this is a reasonable accommodation that they'll be able to make. But the way it's currently written. If you go to a pipe shop and they take blend A and blend B and make blend C, uh, theoretically, they would have to register that product and go through the substantial equivalents and all that. And I'm telling you, no retailer in the country is going to do that. Now, I have a feeling that they will be able to take a special exception to bulk tobacco. Similar to they have a special carve-out for the warning labels on single-stick premium cigars and i think that they right. would you know they would they would look at bulk tobacco in a similar format because again it's the same thing with that. how do you have a health warning label on on bulk tobacco when it's it's not you know sold in the same form in which it came 
Uh, you know, another thing is that they have pipes declared as a, 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 a component and not an accessory. I think that's an oversight on their part. And I also think they might be referring to other pipes, not necessarily briar pipes. But these things have to be cleaned up. And I think I think we have a reasonable argument to make. So to sum up real quick, what we should do as listeners is politely address a letter to our to to our representatives in Washington. Correct, and it and it doesn't also hurt to also address uh, uh, letters to your local guys too, just to let let them know that you know when these local laws are passed, uh, that they need to make sure that they insert in except pipe tobacco when they're really going after a different target. If uh, if any of our listeners are out of the United States, would it be beneficial if they wrote to the representative of the district that the retailer that they buy from is in? Yes. Yes, definitely. So there you go. Paul, thank you very much. Keep fighting for us. I will. I, I have a feeling I'm going to be on that train to D.C. even more the next year. And we'll be back with Quentin Wells in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Malto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMaltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Malto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. We are back, and I am happy to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, I, you've done a whole bunch of stuff, but right now the main thing that you're doing is you're organizing the American Carvers Pipe Making Competition for the Greater Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show. Please welcome Quentin Wells to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. And, Quentin, let's start out. Where'd you grow up? Let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, I grew up in uh, Kansas City. Um, towards the end of high school, I ended up moving out to Washington, D.C. for a couple of years where I met my wife, came back here, and been here ever since. And when did you start smoking a pipe? During that brief stay in Washington, D.C., when I was in my early 20s. Were you going to school, or were you working out there? Yeah, I was working. Actually, I was working at Georgetown Tobacco for a couple of years. And how long ago was this, so that we know how old you are now? (laughs) It was a long time ago. 
It was it was actually Georgetown still then, huh? Absolutely. Uh, what was it like working at Georgetown Tobacco? It was an experience of a lifetime. Had a wonderful time. I was there for almost exactly two years. Had uh, uh, Dave Berkebile, the owner, John Hayes, uh, was my manager, uh, the vice president of the company, and uh, it was uh, just a fabulous time. I learned a lot. Uh, as manager, I got to do a lot and uh, enjoyed the heck out of it. Do you remember the first pipe you got? I do. Well, the first pipe of any significance, I bought it at uh, uh, Don's Pipe Shop in Lawrence, Kansas, and I still have it. It was a uh, stacked um, Sheridan Executive with fabulous grain on it. I, I treasured that pipe for, for a long time. That must have been a big purchase back then. 80 bucks was a lot of money when you're in college. Yeah. What drew you to the pipe? Don't know. Um, my dad was always a cigar smoker, but he'd occasionally smoke his pipes. And I guess when I got to college, I decided that I wanted to smoke a pipe. Uh, never had any use for cigarettes. Couldn't afford cigars, so a uh, pipe it was. And did you start off the traditional way with an aromatic tobacco? Yes, or? yes. yes. My, my first tobacco was Georgetown's <laughs> Chocolate Moose. And that, that lasted for the better part of a year until a, a good friend of mine uh, filled up a, a Sheridan with some Rat Ray's Red Rapparee and uh, had me take a puff of that, and uh, it was kind of an instantaneous conversion. All right, since you mentioned Red Rapparee, which is one of those blends that I've... That, that I always covet an old vintage version of. Was that the was that the uh, the UK or Scotland made red wrappery? Yes. yes. And have that you... was that was that was the it was back in the seventies. That was by um, Charles, not for Charles. Wow. Uh, have you smoked the current version of it? I have. It's still a good tobacco, but. It's uh, it's not quite the same as it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So you got you got hooked on Red Rappery, and then did you smoke that all the way through, or did you bounce around? Oh, I, I really enjoyed the Englishes for a year or two, and then I uh, kind of got converted over to the uh, Virginia Periques, where Scudo rapidly became my uh, favorite uh, tobacco, and that's pretty much been my go-to blend ever since. Uh, but I still dabble in everything. I'll smoke, occasionally I'll, I'll smoke an aromatic just to be polite or find it interesting. But um, I can smoke just because it's fun to, to test them. All the English and all the uh, Virginia, Virginia Preaks, you know, it's, it's fun seeing the incredible breadth of what's actually out there. But um, the fascination fades quickly and I find myself back to my, uh, my favorites. Did your did your pipe taste evolve and change over time? Yes, um, but probably the most dramatic change happened, uh, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, part of it was, uh, I think it was the Steve Stein method, but in a nutshell, it was taking time to learn how to slow down, pack the pipe properly, light it properly, and smoke it slowly. And then tobaccos that... Uh, I detested uh, became some of my favorites. It's amazing how uh, learning how to properly smoke, especially the Virginias, 
um, can really bring forth a fabulous tobacco that you thought you didn't like. So that it was really the the packing technique and the smoking style that opened your eyes to a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch yeah, of yeah, basically stuff. Uh, slowing down and not uh, being so aggressive in the smoking. All this time, when and when you came back to Kansas City, what were you doing for a living? I've been in sales all my life. I've been a manufacturer's rep for uh, almost thirty years now, selling so, uh, industrial uh, motor controls. Love what I do. I've got the the perfect job. I have. Uh, no inventory, uh, no employees. <laughs> Just go out and uh, and, and sell, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And does it get you traveling around the traveling around the country a lot? Well, around the Midwest, yeah. We we cover my partners in St. Louis, and we we cover uh, four or five states. So a, lot, a good amount of travel. So a lot of flatland out there. I like flatland. Do you always take a pipe with you when you travel? Mostly, yes. My car is a smoking car most of the time. <laughs> when, when it's parked, it's not. When it's driving, it is. <laughs> well, if I'm going to go pick somebody up, I, I tend to air it out and uh, clean it up. But, you know, if I've got a long drive and nobody can be seeing me at the other end, I'll, uh, I'll smoke my pipe in the car. Now, let's jump forward to the, to the pipe club itself. Were you around at the beginning of the pipe club? Yeah, yeah, I'm one of the founding members. <laughs> what was the first meeting like? small <laughs> no it was uh it was actually quite uh quite interesting we had a small group of people that decided you know would be interested in starting to form a pipe club and uh, mark uh, did get us together and started the, you know, we had our first meeting and it's been going ever since and it's hard to believe it's been over 15 years but um it's turned out to be a, a wonderful club and we have some fabulous well fabulous members in the club uh, very interesting uh, people um, just amazing what you can see in your fellow pipe smokers and besides the club meeting you guys do a, a monthly newsletter yes that has got more than just newsletter stuff in there oh no dan does a fabulous job with the newsletter we've had many many compliments on it uh your meetings also have sometimes a guest speaker most of our meetings have some type of a presentation, and sometimes those presentations are either club members coming in to talk about uh, something they have, or we'll have outside people come in and talk about a variety of subjects. Um, we're blessed with some talented people in the club, and we've got people that know other people that have come in and, and had uh, wonderful presentations. What are some of the what are some of the topics? Oh, everything from pipes and tobacco to uh, baseball to um, uh, gas-powered vehicles, um, history. We've had some uh, wonderful, varied uh, presentations. And you're also lucky that you have the support of a, a great retailer in Kansas City in Cigar and Tobacco. Absolutely. Uh, without Lynn Beyer, another founding member, uh, this thing would have never, never gotten going. Uh, we'll talk about the pipe show in a little bit, but right now you dabbled in, uh, are you still dabbling in pipe making? <laughs> explain, explain that to me. Well, yeah, I started making pipes about uh, seven, eight years ago and, um, my production has never been terribly high, but I, I must admit the last couple of years have had some, uh, 
other things going on in my life and my production the last couple of years has dropped off to basically nil, literally one or two pipes a year. And what really hurts is uh, Scott Thiele last year called me a, a retired pipe maker. <laughs> that, that, that stung. <laughs> but uh, kidding aside, I've, I've been trying recently here to get back into the shop, and it, it feels good to be back at it. Uh, I believe, if memory serves me right, Fred Hanna has one of your pipes that he claims is a perfect straight grain. Well, he's about to have one. Okay. I, I, it's almost done. He had one before, and it was a fabulous pipe. Um, and I've got another one that he's coveting, and I just need to uh, put a few finishing touches on it. Tried to get it done for Chicago. Just didn't happen. It's that, it's that real-time day job that pays the bills, you know. Uh, and that's important for people to understand that, uh, you know, pipe making is not generally a uh, wealth of money. No. No, it's, a, it's a, a hobby you love. It's not, most pipe makers don't get wealthy off of it. What was the, what's the average selling price for one of your pipes? Oh, they're in the uh, three, $300 to $600 range. I've had a few lower. I've had uh, a number quite higher, but most of them are in that uh, three fifty, four fifty, five hundred dollar range. What made you decide you were going to start learning how to make a pipe? It's something I'd wanted to do forever, ever since I started smoking a pipe, and since I kind of collect hobbies for a hobby, I'm fairly good with my hands and always had the desire. Um, one day, I finally uh, got a block and a couple of files and. Uh, actually started uh, working on it. Pretty soon I had a little lathe, able to drill, drill the holes myself. And it was uh, quite an education starting from scratch. Uh, the first tenons were cut by hand on a wood lathe. Um, before I had any sanding disc, all the shaping was done with rasp on a, uh, just having the block turned over on a peg. Um, but you learn a lot when you start uh, at the basics like that. What was the what was the hardest part of pipe making for you to get a grasp on? Finishing for a while was a real bugaboo. I had uh, I was lucky that I had uh, several very serious pipe makers that took interest in my work and told me the brutal truth. <laughs> and from uh, twenty feet away, would say I still see sandy marks, and they were right. And so, with the help of uh, of Tawny and Lee and Michael and several other pipe makers, I uh, managed to learn some very valuable lessons that have served me well, and I'm still learning. It's it's uh, one of the things I really like about pipe making as a hobby is that you don't. Uh, most of us don't just leap to the uh, pinnacle. There's uh, always something to learn, and if you ever think that isn't the case, the briar we quite happy to remind you (laughs) just when you think you're done it'll poke a little hole in your eye absolutely and that's why there's a lot of sandblast out there yes sir we're going to take a break right here when we come back we're going to talk uh, kansas city pipe show and the carving contest so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. 
Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Hi, this is Russ Willette, and you're listening to Pipes Magazine Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, still visiting with Quentin Wells. Uh, Quentin, we'll hold off on the pipe show for a minute here, but you are really the uh, you're really the reason that the Kansas City Pipe Show has the American Carvers Pipe Making Competition, and this is the fifth one. Yes. All right. Why? What was the idea to start it up? Well, it started actually being up in Chicago. Um, noticing that not only I, but a number of the American carvers were sitting around and not selling a lot of pipes. Now, in my case, because my pipes weren't very good. But for some of the guys, their pipes were good, and they just weren't getting any attention. And um, that's, this was not a knock on Chicago or any of the other people that were getting attention, but it made me realize one of the problems is that the American buying public was not familiar with the American carvers that were trying to break out to become better known, and that there wasn't really any vehicle for them to break out, unless one of the uh, known pipe gods discovered them and anointed them and talked about them in print, they went uh, unnoticed. There was no other avenue for them to, uh, to become known. Make a long story short, I hatched the idea that if we could just hold a contest, give all these guys an opportunity, and then with uh, Chuck Stanion's help, agreeing to uh, publish the results of this, um, we would give support and promotion to American carvers, and then the actual act of the contest would force them to, to become better pipe makers. And having done it now for five years, it has worked. Um, Every year, the uh, the carvers send in the pipes. You know, we, we call out the challenge, and um, we hold the contest. The uh, pipes get uh, their picture in the magazine, courtesy of uh, Chuck Stanion, and uh, they've gotten the support and promotion. I've had a number of them tell me they've gotten, uh, you know, uh, letters, they've gotten orders, they've gotten commissions. Uh, they've been recognized because of the contest, and now they go to shows and they sell pipes. And it's very gratifying to know that we've had some um, some part of helping to uh, you know, support and promote and get the American carvers the recognition that they uh, they needed. How hard also, was 
how hard was it to get that first group of pipes and, and carvers for that first show? <laughs> well, listen, I didn't have people running from me, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I chased down a number of pipe makers and bent their, their ears in their arms and convinced them that uh, it was the right thing to do, to help me support them and bless their hearts. They came out, and uh, we had our first contest. It was a success, and we've uh, been trying to push the bar higher every year since. So each year you pick a shape or a style that... that... Yeah, we, we, we started, the first one was the Volcano, and we've done um, you know, the Dublin family, the Bulldog family. This year, you know, the first four years of contest were really designed to allow the carvers to show us what they can do. And um, we had comments from the public going, you know kind of stretch the limits on there of what you would call a doubler or what you would call a bulldog. And, yeah, we were in panels, and we were letting them push the envelope. And this year we're trying to flip it back, and it's uh, been met with some interesting comments. We've got uh, this year it's the billiard. And instead of us looking for inspiration and innovation from the carvers this year, we're asking them, can you make a classic? You know, show us your craft. Can you actually make a perfect billiard bowl? And we'll see. I think it's going to be a fabulous set. Um, but it's not without some uh, consternation on the on the part of the carvers as they practice with the billiards and realize how hard it is to get the defining lines of that shape correct. We've um, had we've had several pipe makers on that have referenced either Lars Everson or one of the older guys say. You've made a perfect billiard. Now go make five more just like it. It's hard enough to make the first one. Damn near impossible to make five more just like it. So you guys, as the club, you come up with the you come up with the ramifications for for what the pipe's going to be, and then what happens? The pipe makers send in the pipes to you. Yeah, I I basically contact all the the pipe makers, tell them what the uh, the rules are for this uh, contest, and then. You know, the pipes uh, come in, it's a, a lot like Christmas the week before our show, because I, I beg and plead with them to get the, the pipes to me sooner, but usually I'm getting uh, four or five boxes a day for the couple of days up to leading to our show, which is the deadline. And so I have uh, dozens of boxes of pipes. You know, I've got to unpack and get them all out and get them ready to be uh, judged. And we custom make a set. Anthony Harris in our club makes a, a fabulous display case for it each year. And then uh, your readers, part of your listeners already know that we uh, sell the raffle tickets, uh, and then the uh, we raffle off the seven-day set. Some lucky person, usually named Bob, <laughs> wins the set. Um, and then the money raised by that raffle goes back to the carvers. The club does not keep a penny of it. This is all for supporting and promoting the carvers. So some of the... Uh, enthusiasm for being in the seven-day set in addition to just the recognition and notoriety is you also get the money now all the pipes are photographed for the issue of pnt magazine following the show correct the winning pipes and this is where anthony where i think anthony's a genius is that he has to make a he has to make a display that fits seven pipes but he doesn't know exactly which seven that is correct. Or, or how. Or <laughs> it's not easy to do, but he's, he's very good at what he does. Um, you'll get 30, 30 or 40 pipes sent to you? Yeah, we have 43 last year, 42, 43. And the judges are who this year? 
Craig Pease, George Debos, and Adam Davidson. And a formidable trio. So you have a pipe maker, a tobacconist, and a really, a really talented pipe restoration guy. Yes. Looking at pipe makers' work. And then, are they the ones that decide the seven, or does the club have any influence in that? club has no influence. The uh, three judges are the sole arbiters of who's in the set. And, of course, they can see who made the pipe because the pipe is stamped. Or Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion over the years over why we don't uh, cover the logos and try and hide it from them. And um, We haven't done that. We're not going to do that, and there's several good reasons for it. Uh, first off, you have a number of pipe makers whose style is so dis- distinctive. It doesn't matter if you cover the logo. Everybody knows who made the pipe. Yeah. The other is, and this I did see, um, the judges, per my instructions, are there to judge each pipe on the merits of that pipe alone, not on the pipe maker's body of work, not on his reputation, not on anything else he's done. The only thing you're judging is that pipe in front of you. And you're judging that pipe on its merits. You know, you know the engineering, the, uh, the finish, the fit, you know, everything about it. And they are so focused on the contest, on the pipes, that at the end of it, when they've got their seven pipes, um, they then turn around and say, okay, who won? They don't know yet. And if you've looked at enough pipes, you understand part of that is that not all the logos are easy to read. Some people have distinctive logos that uh, you can tell from feet away. Others, you've got the pipe in your hand, you turn it over, and you're trying to read it, and it takes you a minute to figure out what the logo actually says. So they really do look at the pipes and sometimes really don't know whose pipe they uh, just chose for the set until it's all over. And I'm fairly familiar with all the pipe makers, and even after hearing their names, I wasn't. there were some pipe makers that I had never heard their names before. And that's the idea. You know, my, my first year, Andy Peterson was my, my, my poster child. I had really hoped that I would have you know, well-known makers in the contest, and we did. But I was also really hoping that somebody who was not known would slip into the set. And um, as it turned out, Andy hit it out of the park. His pipe was chosen, and um, you know his life changed as a pipe maker. But it was that part of, of bringing somebody who hasn't been known to the attention of the buying public. And it's, it's continued every year since. Now, last year, do I, if I remember correctly, because I was at the show and I was hanging out outside, but the judges were in the room for four or five hours pouring over yep. pipes. Yep. Really working to figure out which seven they wanted to, they wanted to choose. Correct. Now, this year I did make a, a change because it was taking so long and we are getting more pipes. This year I'm going to have each judge go in and they are going to pick the seven that they think should be in the set. And then once all three judges have done that, we'll compare notes. And there's bound to be uh, some overlap where all three judges picked, you know, this guy's pipe, so he's in the set. And then they'll sit down and meet, but it'll be to discuss the ones that they didn't have a complete match on. And it should cut down on the time it takes um, to come up with a seven-day set. And they'll all be billiards. And then the benefit to being at the show is the ones that didn't make the set, each pipe maker's got a price on it, and those become available for sale at the show. Right. If 
the end of the show, uh, the pipe makers that want us to offer their pipes for sale, we will at the price they say. And at the end of the show, we just send them the pipe back or we send them the money because it's old. There's some fabulous pipes there. And for those of us that can't make it to the show, we can buy tickets just by going online to the... Yep, go to the club website, go to the registration tab, register like you were going to be a vendor or attendee. You can register to buy the pipes. There's a hot link on the the homepage. And the website is gkcpipeclub.com. That is correct. And all the money goes directly back to the seven winning pipe makers. Yeah, the club does that. This was part of our agreement with um, uh, P&T Magazine and Chuck. Um, He's more than happy to help us support and promote American Carvers, but we both agreed this is for supporting and promoting American Carvers, not for benefiting the club. So none of the proceeds of the seven-day set go to the club. It all goes to the Carvers. Is there a limit on the tickets sold? 400 tickets. When they're gone, they're gone. I've already got my five, so... <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're $25 a ticket or five for $100, and when the, when the 400 are gone, they're gone. All right, so let's skip forward, and we'll talk about the pipe show itself. It is coming up in June, and it's at a new location at the Argosy Casino, which I'm really looking forward to because I've been there once before, and I, I think I've been in the room that we're using. Uh, the room's got a gorgeous balcony overlooking the river, and yep. there'll be a smoking you, tent. You can actually, we can't smoke in the room, but you can smoke on that balcony. So you can literally step through that door and be smoking, step back into the show, and be back in the show. So, And there's smoking in the uh, hallway. Oh, I say the hallways. The, uh, within the uh, casino, they have, I believe, three or four restaurants and some very large open areas and can't smoke in the restaurants, but all the large open areas are smoking. And we'll also have our smoking tent out in front of the hotel again, a lovely area they have out front set aside for us. So there are many places that you can smoke uh, on the at the show, just not in the show. And the show dates are June 21st and 22nd? There's that a- is correct. The judging for the contest will be Friday night, June 20th. The actual show is uh, Saturday and Sunday, the 21st and 22nd. And one of the highlights of the trip is the Friday night barbecue buffet dinner. Well, this year it's not just barbecue. The uh, the buffet at the Argosy is phenomenal. We went out several times to taste the food, and they have everything from barbecue to sushi. I mean, there is, you can think of it, they've got it, and they've got some fabulous cooks there. It's probably the best food we've tasted at any uh, pipe show. Um and on top of that, your show was, last year was when I first heard Fred Hanna, or was it two years ago, where I heard Fred Hanna talk about the vitamin N story. <laughs> uh, this this year will be Steve Fallon on the Saturday night dinner. So you guys, once again, instead of just having a regular dinner, you've got presentations. and Yes. Uh, yeah. Friday night, Mark Speaker, Ryan. So. Friday night out in the tent. Um Everybody's always having a good time. Uh, we'll have some um, presentations uh, during the, during the show. You'll have Steve Stein doing his uh, you know, how to pack and light the pipe, how to smoke a pipe um, presentations, which has always been a big hit last couple of years. And I think didn't I, if I remember right, a couple of years ago you had uh, Jeff Grasics showing how he shapes a pipe. We did. That was a, a wonderful. Actually, that went onto a YouTube, I believe. 
and um, it's still out there. You can still find it. But uh, he did a wonderful job of showing how a, uh, a pipe is uh, shaped freehand before you drill the holes. And then the best part of the Argosy, besides being a casino where smoking's fairly liberal in it, is it's relatively close to the airport and downtown Kansas City. Yes, to both. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite pipe? My own. And what's your favorite tobacco? Escudo. And what's your favorite drink? Scotch. Any particular kind or just all of them? I like the Islas. Uh, uh, when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Yes. <laughs> that was that was a difficult answer. Um <sighs> Last thing, any particularly favorite pipe smoking memory? Yeah, sitting sitting out on a uh, balcony overlooking the uh, Mississippi River, smoking my pipe, and just being at peace. Watching the water go by. Yep. It was wonderful. Quentin, thank you for your time. The website, again, is gkcpipeclub.com. Don't call Quentin and ask him if he's made any pipes yet because he's busy <laughs> making money and making other pipe makers famous. There you go. But I'm looking Brian, thank you very much. I'll see you in about, uh, what is it, seven, six weeks? Six, five, five weeks, six weeks, yep. It's coming see up there. quick. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit Sutliff-Tobacco.com. For information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. I uh, just want to remind you, you do not need to be present at the pipe show to win the seven day or the seven pipe set. You go online, buy your uh, raffle tickets for it, and if you win, they'll call you, they'll send you the pipes. It is a whole heck of a lot more fun to win them if you are there, because then you get to have one heck of a smoking weekend. 
Um, all right, so for music, going back to my Disneyland days, the beginning of summer to me meant the beginning of the Main Street Electrical Parade. The theme song from the Main Street Electrical Parade is an adaptation of a song called Baroque Hoedown. Well, Disney released a, an album called Adventures in Jazz, and this is Gil Goldstein and Friends doing the classic Baroque Hoedown, except in a uh, Louisiana Zydeco jazz kind of version of it that I really like, and it's just a fun summertime memory kind of song for me. So here's the Baroque Hoedown.
I used to love those warm summer nights and watching the Main Street Electrical Parade. And hey, besides that, it wouldn't be me if I didn't stick a little Disney stuff in the show every once in a while anyway. Three little words. You got mail. On iTunes, a new... Two new reviews, one from Johnson JB80. He says, I find this show outstanding. Brian Levine does a terrific job hosting, and I know Kevin Godby is always working hard behind the scenes. The guest speakers and pipe parts are always interesting. I'm not sure how he does it, but I'm always intrigued in each show and look forward to new shows each week. Keep up the good work, Brian and Kevin. Can't thank you two enough, and we can't thank you enough for listening. And Peter Field wrote, uh, great work, Brian Scott. M is an interesting man, quite a character. Your report on Chicago sounded like you had a wonderful yet exhausting time of camaraderie and an exchange of ideas and interests. Pipe makers, artists, not competitors. What a novel idea. We should tell the U.S. Congress how that works. Thank you. Now, go home, spend a relaxing weekend stoking your pipes and swirling that wonderful nectar of the gods while watching the races. You deserve it. Be well, my friend, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, race weekends are coming. I'm excited. So apparently a lot of you really enjoyed Scott McClellan and a lot of you were not too scared off. Uh, Warren writes, way to go, guys, and way to keep this a secret from me. I had sent messages to Brian and Scott regarding this idea. I've been to two of Scott's shows, and he's a member of the Ottawa Pipe Smoking Group. I'll have to chastise him when he comes over one afternoon in the near future for some port and a few bowls. Warren, Warren, I'll warn you, if you chastise him, he may put like steel rods through your forehead or something. Uh, Nola Cajun writes, Warren, he is a very interesting and unique fellow. If only New Orleans wasn't so far, how much fun it would be to spend an evening listening to his stories while smoking a few bowls. And uh, he also wrote that uh, he doesn't know if he'll ever get to Canada, but he'd love to see these shows live. Riff Raff said, I love this show. Scott is definitely a colorful character. It is amazing that he too is preserving a family business. The idea of traveling shows really brings me back to my childhood. The carnivals would come to town, and we could check out all of the sideshows, some of which my parents really didn't approve of. Not only is the content appealing, but the nostalgia of it all. Another thing I thought was interesting is that he can't tell who he can't tell you who made his pipes. He smokes what he likes and likes what he smokes. Now that is the essence of a pipe smoker that smokes for pure pleasure of smoking. Nothing pretentious about him. Plus, he enjoys a good port with his pipe. My kind of smoker. Another great show, gentlemen. Yeah, I gotta agree. That was that was really cool that uh, Scott doesn't care who made the pipe. Scott cares about what the pipe looks like. Let's get through a couple others before we gotta run. Uh, fuel Pump, Brian says. Brian, excellent interview with Scott. I love to hear about those crazy Canadians. I've seen some similar shows, i.e. the Jim Rose Circus that he mentioned. It is amazing to see people doing the things that they enjoy. Even though I don't understand all the reasons that they enjoy it, one can tell that they really enjoy the rush they get from the performance. I agree with Scott that I've found some enjoyment in very inexpensive pipes. After going to the Chicago show, and I sat and had dinner with Brian on Friday night, I now see myself as a tobacco person more than a pipe person. I really like the Disney Peace Pipe. I got to look at it during the discussion on Friday night. 
Rick's presentation on Friday night was worth the trip to the show just by itself. I really learned a lot and hope he puts that out for others to see. Uh, I truly enjoyed the discussion time during dinner Friday. It was really great to talk to you and Kevin. You pointed out several things in the sample tobacco that aided me in evaluating the tobacco samples I saw during the show. By the way, your jacket gave your identification away, much like my badge. Look forward to seeing you when our paths cross again, Brian. Yeah, I I made myself really inconspicuous. I was wearing a black leather Fantasia 65th anniversary jacket. Sorcerer Mickey all over it. Uh, Dino says, Hey, Brian, I thoroughly enjoyed the rather bizarre but wonderfully entertaining conversation with Scott. And I truly enjoyed talking to you at the Chicago show. The Friday evening panel discussion was fun and enlightening. By the way, fellow listeners, Brian in person is the same warm, genial, funny, and slightly twisted person he portrays on the radio show. Till we meet again, Dino. Uh, That is proof that I don't portray anything on the radio show. If anything, I'm a little more filtered on the radio show than I am in person. And uh, let's do a couple more here. Uh... Tortis, T-O-I-R-T-I-S, great interview. I've known Scott for almost a quarter century, and it was great to hear him on your program. I was particularly delighted when he answered his uh, to his favorite pipe-smoking memory was that of us enjoying a smoke together during his visit back to Calgary this past Christmas. A great show as always. Kudos. Uh, a couple new ones. O T I U. M-I-N-D-N-A-T-A-T-A-S. Don't know what that screen name is, but maybe I'll figure it out. Uh, Thank you, Brian. Awesome show. Scott, the pipe you're smoking on that picture is the exact kind of basket pipe I bought in Toronto, and it also shows in my avatar. It looks and smokes great. All right, that about wraps it up for the mailbag. We'll get more in next week. Uh, Don't forget... Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you have any comments, please post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. Post and send them to me on Facebook. I love listening, reading them all, and hopefully get to them. Got any questions? Put them there as well. And in just a minute, rant time. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, 
smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Some of you pipe smokers and some very passionate Disney fanatics, you have a lot in common because whatever was was better than it is now. The good old days were always better than what we have now. And I always hear Disney people or Disney fans saying, if Walt Disney was alive now, he wouldn't, uh, you know... If Walt Disney was alive now, he'd be 113 years old and probably wouldn't know what Mickey Mouse is. Here's my advice to all of you about how wonderful things were before. Walt Disney said Disneyland will never be done. It'll never be complete. It'll never be finished. They're always going to be trying new things. Some things may work. Some things may not work pipe tobaccos of old if they were that great why did pipe smoking drop off in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s well here's my advice to all of you that are living in the past and the wonderful times of the past you know what stop and enjoy the moment now savor the time if you're at disney world or disneyland and you're really enjoying something don't worry about what used to be there or what isn't there anymore stop and enjoy what is there now If you're a pipe smoker and you remember the blends of old and the great pipes of old, that's great. But enjoy the pipes, enjoy the pipe tobacco that you have now. If you go to a pipe show and you remember what they used to be in the old days when it was this and that and it was just a few of us guys hanging out trading pipes and talking about pipes, well guess what? If that's not what it is now, enjoy what it is now. Enjoy the moment, savor the time that we're in, savor the time that we have together, enjoy what you're doing right now, so that next week, you're not looking back at last week going, I didn't enjoy anything. Alright, that's the rant, make sure and take the time and savor some of the time over the weekend. I want to add a few more little things in here real quick, one congratulations to John Seiler who got to give away a daughter last weekend, so your apologies accepted for being late again on your post. Uh, Finally, from Dan Locklear in regard to uh, Willen Healy last week, uh, he said Dr. Willen actually had a great wit. He always identified himself as English by birth, Canadian by adoption, and Scotch by absorption. With that being said, I'm going to go become more of a Kentuckian. And uh, got to get up early in the morning because we're going off to Carowinds for a day with the band. So, yeah, 6 a.m. Got to be at the school. So with that, I'll say thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time.
the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Hey, Kevin, how about we do the Chia Pipe, available in Bent, Billiard, and Bulldog at a store near you?